Welcome to the Australian Hiker Podcast, Australia's longest running hiking podcast downloaded over three quarters of a million times in over 145 countries and providing you with an Australian perspective on all things hiking. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 225 of the Australian Hiker Podcast. And in this week's episode, it's our annual industry interview episode. We hope you enjoy. Before we get into today's episode, if you'd like to help support Australian Hiker and this podcast, there are a couple of ways that you can help us out. Firstly, by subscribing on your podcast host of choice so that each episode is available as soon as it's published. And if you have the opportunity, leave us a five-star review. Another way to support us is go to the Australian Hiker website at www.australianhiker.com.au and click on the supporters page and buy us a coffee. You can do a one-off donation or become a monthly supporter. All donations are greatly appreciated and help us to continue producing this podcast and blog. Now let's get on to today's episode. As we've been doing since 2017, we make it a habit of catching up with industry suppliers, importers and manufacturers just to find out what's been going on within the industry, particularly in relation to hiking. In this year's episode, we managed to catch up with four industry suppliers uh, just to find out what's been going on. At the end of each interview, we'll have a quick discussion about what the key points raised were. And at the end of the episode, we'll talk about the common theme that seems to be appearing year by year about what's happening with the outdoor industry. If you go to the show notes for episode 225 on the Australian Hiker website, you'll find a series of images that relate to what we're talking about as interviews go through, just to help make a bit more sense of what you're listening to. Okay, so for this interview, we're talking to Danielle from Cedar Summit Distribution. Danielle, thank you for taking your time to talk with us. Hi, thanks for having me on board again. Okay, so I believe Cedar Summit is bringing out a new series of their packing cells. Tell us a bit about that. Yes, so um, as you'd be aware, Cedar Summit, their heritage started off in stuff sacks and dry sacks. It's been a very big category for us um, with multiple products uh, from your really burly hydraulic packs right right down to your super ultralight nano dry bags and um, ultra mesh stuff sacks. And um, this year, we're, it's the first time we've actually looked at the entire category as a whole and overhauling the entire lot. So refreshing every single product um, in the range in some way. So when you say refreshing, I must admit I, I do own quite a, a large number of Cedar Summit uh, dry sacks and packing cells. What's what's really changed? Because I found them to be really good, in all honesty. Absolutely, and this is obviously why why they've they've held up for so many years because um, they are so so robust. Um, so what we've actually looked at doing, and it has taken us a, a number of years, um, is actually improving our environmental and social impact. So we've looked to not only meet the regulations and outdoor industry standards, um, but align with retailer requirements, market aspirations, and bring sustainable stories to retail um, as a hard good brand. So how we how we're we're doing that is in in a, a number of ways. Obviously, um, our first is to actually measure our carbon footprint. So as a as a whole company, um, so that's obviously going to take a bit of a a while to to get 
um, get to that sort of measurement. Um, our building in Perth uh, is actually run on, on a solar system. Um, we've got a cycle commute challenge between all of our staff as well. So there's 20 plus people that um, cycle into work every day. Uh, so of our goals as a company are very much changing um, to be more aligned to what we've been doing internally that we may not have, you know, been promoting as much. So our first is our first goal is to be 100% blue sign approved textiles by, by 2030, um, 100% non-PFC water repellent finishes by 2025. So you would have noticed all of our gaiters uh, are now P PFC um, water repellent finishes on all of our gaiters. That was that was launched this year, and then 90% primary, 50% secondary materials RSC certified recycled materials um, or sustainable by 2030. So, uh, and then obviously we have our, our resp responsible down uh, certification for our sleeping bags um, and quilts. I was going to say, what you mentioned Blue Seal. What 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 was Blue Seal? What does that mean? Oh, but sorry, no, um, Blue Sign. Blue Sign, sorry. So, so um, Blue Sign are a third-party accreditation. Um, so it basically covers social compliance at, at sort of the mill level, you know, exploring dye solutions using less water ensures that, you know, the chemicals that we're using to create the products like the or the fabrics uh, used meet strict consumer safety and environmental requirements and that they're produced in a, in a re resource conserving way. Okay. So we already have, yeah, access to those those fabric and mill partners as well. So, and then on top of that is then obviously using a chain of, of um, the customer to track recycled raw materials through the supply chain. So, um, you know, making sure that, that we're, we're creating, you know, a very sustainable flagship product that doesn't compromise on performance. Okay. Now, I know over the years, uh, particularly with things like the um, the packing packing bags, the, you've had the ultra sill versions, and then then you've had the the standard versions. Are you still yeah. going to maintain that those two sort of layers of uh, of product? Absolutely. So, so on top of that, we've also decided just to, just to um, round out our conversation on the um, on the the social. Um, compliance and also the environmental story we're we're looking at the evolution of our packaging as well so all of our packaging will will change to um a you know renewable recyclable compostable um box as well so um this will this is adopted you know the um australian recycling label standard as well okay that's good so the, yeah, curbside recyclable and sustainably sourced materials on the bags. Um, and then then from there, what we've done is we've just looked to streamline our range of core of core products. So, you know, 90% of our heavy duty um, bags was sold out of using the big river dry bags. You know, the same for our lightweight range, which is the 70 denier lightweight dry bags. 65% came from the standard lightweight um, range and out of the ultra seal that was again 80 percent um, compared to something you know like the the nano dry bags which was which was like a a, a small slither of you know 10 percent of our range so what we've done is is then re, you know refined the range um, we've also refreshed 
the um, the colours to have a more natural landscape um, inspired by the outback range, um, so the colours aren't quite so um, so poppy. <laughs> I must admit, I don't like, I don't mind the bright colours. <laughs> oh, they're, they're still going to be bright colours. Um, don't worry, they've just got uh, a more natural hue to them. So our orange, our orange colour is is uh, you know called called. It's, it's either spicy orange or, you know, fiery red. So there is, you know, there is still some brights through throughout. It's just just uh, slightly slightly toned down in some areas, and then we've made it easier to understand um, as a range. So going from your heavyweight bags to lightweight ultralight, and then our evac um, bags, which use the um, event fabric on the bottom. So that you're able to, you know, either the compression bags, you're able to compress the air out of them, and that that's sort of where there is there is one new product um, in there. We're launching a evac compression bag using the Big River dry bag material. So that's quite an exciting one, um, particularly for bike packers out there, because uh, internally uh, our team sort of they go they go on bike packing trips quite regularly. Um, I know um, Kirsty, one of our other brand managers, she's got a uh, gutsy girl film out at the moment, um, bikepacking around Tasmania. And the compromise that she has to make is do you do a big river bag, but it, you kind of have to squidge and roll and squidge and roll. And it's great because you can obviously lash that to the sides of your wheels of your bike. Or do you go an evac compression dry bag that's not quite, you know, if, if something really harsh comes upon it you might might rip it rip and tear it open but you can squidge everything down and it mostly you know will will keep everything dry and and maybe lash it to the top part of your bike so by having an evac compression heavy duty bag uh, made out of the big river material um, you're really creating that that perfect mix of what you're after in terms of a, a heavy duty bag it's going to keep everything dry, but you can still compress everything out. So, bikepacking, so sea kayaking, overlanding, um, motorcycling, perfect for all those sort of activities. Now, I suppose looking into the same sort of category, and and this may may not be the same category, but it, it, it seems so to me. What about things like the um, uh, the pack covers? Is, do they fall into the same sort of category, or are they something totally different? Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna break your heart here when I say that they're uh, they're actually being discontinued. Oh, yes, unfortunately, yeah, there will be there will be no more uh, um, uh, pack covers are staying the same, but um, yeah, pack liners will be exiting out of our range. Okay, all right, no, that's good. That's good to hear. So, so, so you're not revamping the pack covers. You're uh, you or, or are you not re- this time round? Yeah. Not, yeah. They w- they definitely will get a refresh. Um, obviously, once we have this these materials embedded, it'll only be a matter of time. Um, but I'm sure you can appreciate the number of SKUs that this is, this is sort of you know around that 300 mark of of product SKUs that you know we've had to individually design and make every single you know not only the product but the packaging, um, the photography, the artwork, the design, um, you know, all the way through. So you know. Steps in the right, baby steps in the right direction. Let's <laughs> let's not let's not overhaul absolutely everything all at once. <laughs> no, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Uh, so a couple of couple of the updates on the the, the product itself that perhaps uh, I know we're, we're 
limited on time, so I'll just quickly shout out a couple of fun ones. Um, the Big River Dry Bag, uh, we've, it, we've updated it to have some nice lashing points on the on either side and a grab handle on the larger ones. So it's it's still still the same excellent um, great Big River Dry Bag, but at least now there's there's lashing points on either side. So they're, they're used for more expeditions where you can tie them to a boat or tie them to a vehicle and, and not have them run around the place. Correct. So and a triple coated base on the bottom as well. So that 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 really gives you that extra security and protection. Have you found, um, have you found that um, from a sizing point of view, um, you, know, you talked about the different materials before, but is is there a a popular size or, or it really varies depending on the the, the, the range of bags. Uh, it does vary depending on each of the bags, um, most most certainly, um, depending on what the use is. You know, it's no surprise with our, our range if, if you're after a compression sack to replace, obviously, you know, uh, an ex- exhausted um, sleeping bag, bag, then you're going to try and find, you know, we sell a lot more of the smaller ones than the larger ones. However, then, you know, when we're talking about a big river, you're selling, you know, slightly more of the larger ones. Um, overall as sort of gear hauling bags so and then on top of that um, a lot of our bags or uh, particularly the 70d and the big river will now have a little um, toggle on the bottom of the bag um, little hypalon tab and then you can purchase a dry bag sling um, so that if you did want to uh, use it just as an over-the-shoulder sling bag we now have that um, extra adaptability to use it with the um, the D-ring clip at the top. That could probably be also useful so, for, for rock climbing and things, I can imagine. Yes, yeah. Although if you're, if you're, if you're planning on doing a bigger expedition-style, um, you know, canyoning-type product, then the Hydraulic Pro dry bag is definitely um, where you're going to get quite a, quite a bit of excitement from it. Okay, that's good. That's good. So, when are we expecting to see these uh, these new ranges on hitting the market? We'll be hitting likely around February, um, or, or you know, late January. If we're very, very lucky with the shipping. Um, shipping's been quite a delayed thing for all manufacturers, uh, particularly getting into Australia. But uh, February is when we're we're definitely aiming to see these arrive. Now, I know over the last couple of years, one of the questions I've asked people that we've interviewed has been, what's the impact of COVID? Now, I think given that so, it, you know, at the moment we look like we're, we're coming out of it uh, reasonably well, have you found the industry starting to get back to normal, whatever, whatever that means? Um, we didn't really find that there wasn't. There, there was definitely something happening, but it definitely was a skew of, of normal. Um, what we generally found was that, you know, you lock down people and tell them they can't go overseas and they can't go, you know, gallivanting off around the globe finding exciting adventures, um, but people still want to go away and leave the house. And if you lock someone out, you know, into their house for two weeks plus at a time, the first thing they want to do when they get out is go somewhere. So we found over COVID that a lot of people, similar to the bike industry, um, where a lot of people took up, you know, cycling to get out of the house on a on a daily basis, but um, camping and four-wheel driving definitely um, improved um, dramatically. 
Um, so everyone chose to t- t- take an adventure locally at home. Definitely saw that in, in WA as well. So everyone sort of chose to do local adventures and um, fortunately we're in the right business selling uh, products to go camping with to make your life more comfortable um, when going on those um, adventures. So um, for us, yeah, it wasn't – it was – more of a trying to keep keep supply of the products that people wanted. Okay, yeah, I think that, that that's always the thing as well between shipping shipping if stuff is coming from overseas to uh, sourcing materials and finding that labour's a bit light on sometimes in the manufacturing process. But uh, yeah, precisely. I, I think uh, I mean I think we probably like a lot of other people when we when we went through the first lockdown and I was working from home for six months. I spent a lot, a lot of money online buying things, including including, including <laughs> hiking gear. Yes, yes. You you stop everyone from going going to the coffee shop, going you know buying lunch at work and going out to dinners every weekend, and suddenly everyone had this, this surplus of uh, yeah money to spend online. The other exciting new product that's uh, going to become our hero product. Um, definitely in in our uh, dry bag world, um, and where you'll see a lot of marketing. Um, coming through for next year. So our designers, they they like to, you know, basically create the best and the best, um, and this product is definitely right up there. Um, it, is, it is definitely a pinnacle product um, in, it, in, in itself. So what we've created is what we're calling the Hydraulic Pro Dry Pack. So it is a fully submersible duffel dry bag for the most extreme conditions. So IPX8 rated submersion, so that means it can go to, I think it's 10 metres, but I think we're only going to claim four metres underwater um, for about 10 minutes without um, a drop of water entering the bag because of its airproof, uh, waterproof zipper, Um, super abrasion-resistant fabric, uh, welded seams, and, and also an ergonomic ergonomic carry and lashing system as well so similar to what you see on our current duffels how you can um, create different lashing options this is this is definitely the case with this as well Um, so this sort of came out of a you know an area of of design that you know we looked at what people use these sort of bags for so it's really you know epic adventures um, overlanding boating you know water you know, ski the extreme of the extreme. So this is this is not your everyday carry by any any means or any stretch of the imagination. But um, it's it's gone through a lot of ideation. The team have put a lot of time and in, uh, into its design and making sure that it's it's burly enough to to sit up by itself. So you know, when you open a bag, it doesn't this the you know the sides don't collapse on you. The harness itself, it's comfortable to carry. Um, as a little short hauler, it doesn't have a, a waist belt because it's meant to be as a hauler, not a not a long carry sort of type type bag. I'll come in a a two. It, there's two colours. It's either either a, a grey on grey and black or a pindan and zinnia colour, which is for layman sort of an an orange and and burnt yellow colour. But uh, yeah, the a the pinnacle of what we can create in terms of a fully submersible duffel for extreme adventures. I was going to say, I'm looking, looking at the images I've got in, here in front of me. They they do look like they're a pretty robust sort of bag. Yes, and de- definitely. Um, I would I'm going to say unapologetically premium. 
That's good. And I think, as you say, it's sort of, um, I suppose it's, uh, I mean, the na- name Cedar Summit was born out of a, a mountaineering expedition, but certainly I think, yeah, looking at some of this range, as you say, a lot of this product would be useful in around the raw water for boating and for, for as you say, for any adventure activity, regardless of whether it's hiking and camping or mountaineering or, mm. or boating. So it's, uh, uh, it's, it's becoming a, you know, it's a very versatile sort of product by the look of it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, even, you know, snow and Arctic adventures and where you, where you need the brighter colour so that it's seen. So, that yeah, the the, the key part of the whole um, component is is the fact that we've got what's called a, 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 the TIZIP product that is very premium. So, you know, we're, we're talking by the time it gets to a retail shop front um, from cost, you know, you're looking at a hundred bucks plus. Yeah. So just in just in the zipper alone. Yeah. Um, but the zipper, but the zipper is amazing. So we could have chosen a cheaper zipper. You know, one one that probably wouldn't have been quite as waterproof. But that's what we wanted. You know, we wanted that that premium product to to suit what we were aiming to to achieve. So this this product's definitely not going to be for for everyone. But um, you know, for for those expeditionists um trying not to say the other one that want to to go on these sort of adventures that want to make sure 100 percent that their gear is is going to be safe and sound inside this is the bag they're going to be looking for okay so we've been talking with to danielle from cedar summit distribution thanks very much for taking your time to talk with us thanks tim it's great to talk to you so that was our interview with Danielle from Cedar Summit. And the thing that sort of really stuck stuck with me was the focus from, in their case, talking about a range of packs and dry bags and packing cells. And for a lot of people, not really a sexy sort of item when you think about sleeping bags or tents or tracking poles. But I think it's 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 interesting to see their their vision, if you like. Of you know, they're talking about making things environmentally friendly. They're talking about making things durable, uh, and they're talking about making a high quality product to suit particular markets. So I think you know, it's Cedar Summit isn't just a company that looks after hikers. Uh, you know, and in this episode, they were certainly talking about making a product for bike packing, uh, uh, and talking about making product for people that are into canoeing. Uh, as well as mountaineering, uh, and you know, there's not just a range of uh, pack covers or packing cells that they can, you know, that suits everybody. There's a niche for everybody, and certainly some of the product that we're talking about, uh, particularly product that's waterproof uh, for down to four meters, uh, particularly if you're into canoeing, uh, having a product that you know, if the boat tips over you're not going to lose everything and it's not going to get soggy and wet providing you you fish it out reasonably quickly. So I think it's good to see that you know, their focus is not so much let's just bring all this new product out, but let's look at what we've got and how can we make it better. And that includes, uh, again, the packaging that goes with this product uh, to make things better for the environment and better for our usage overall. So it's going to be good to see this product come out onto the market. I own many, many Cedar Summit packing cells, and they just last. And I'll just grab whatever particular size suits me for the the adventure that I'm going through and doing. Uh, So it's going to be good to see this new product come onto the market over the, 
later this year and towards early 2023. Okay, so for our next interview, I'd just like to welcome AJ from Campus Pantry. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having us on. Okay, so we've talked with AJ over the last few years about the Campus Pantry range of outdoor meals. So what's new or what's happening with Campus Pantry uh, over the past 12 months and, and, and heading into the future? So the past 12 months, we've, we've, um, we've been keeping up with the demand. So basically, we've had all the um, everyone coming out of lockdown and throwing the packs on and going going hiking again, which is fantastic. So we're still growing organically, I suppose you'd say. Um, and we are still a young company, so we've still have we still have you know areas to um, to grow, and and people still haven't heard of us, which is you know just how it is when you when you're the new kid on the block and we have been listening to the customers you know we get a lot of feedback about certain things and so we have got uh, some new products in the pipeline that we will be introducing shortly i probably can't say too much about them but we've got uh, the chef uh, ready to go um, to um, basically bring out um, some new cooking meals uh, dinners and vegetarian, vegan, gluten, ticking those boxes for allergens where we can. Um, and I don't know a date as yet when when these will launch. It'll be this year. It'll be 2022 when these come out. And there's at the moment we've got about 30 odd uh, new products uh, in the pipeline. Yeah. Yeah, it's always hard, isn't it? I mean, I, I suppose you, most people tend to think about, oh, well, I can eat anything so everyone else is the same, but there are a, a percentage of people within the population that are gluten intolerant or do have food allergies of some sort. And and even just to the point of view of vegetarian, the, you know, the vegetarian options often tend to be a bit light on and favouring the meat eaters. So it's good to see uh, the the outdoor companies catering for those people. Now this is this is all within the freeze dried range again, is it? Yeah, it's all going to be one hundred percent freeze dry. So it's um, we still want to be lightweight. We still want to be able to be the lightweight um, player on the market. And yeah, that's when you're doing uh, short trips. It's not not much of an issue. But as soon as you're doing some longer trips and you're carrying that much food, those grams do do count. And um, and that's um, yeah. 100% freeze dried um, local local meats, so Tassie um, Tassie meats, Cape Grim, and those sort of things. You know, ticking that box. And, and just a reminder again, it is actually meat rather than meat substitute, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So the 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 beef, uh, the diced beef that we do, and the beef mince is all from Cape Grim. Um, the the chickens all premium chicken breast. Um, we put through a dicer and then freeze dry it. So it's just what, like you'd buy from your your local IGA. It's all um, yeah, all premium grade. Comes back to life with um, so with the with the meat. If you're using that meat in a um, if you're cooking a trail meal, you can rehydrate the meat in cold water. It'll still rehydrate. Uh, and if we if we're cooking with it, we'll tend to strain it after we've rehydrated it, and then throw it into a um, a pan with a bit of oil just to brown it a bit before we then um, 
keep going with our cook. You can actually just put it into a pot. So if you're just doing like a, a soup or some sort of broth or one cook, um, a one pot wonder, you can just put it in. It's already pre-cooked um, before we freeze dry it. We pre-cook it in the um, in the factory, so it's all ready to go. Yeah, but it's all yeah, it's hundred percent real real meat that you'd buy from your local butcher. Nothing, no corners cut there. So, is, I mean, I suppose it's just a more as a more generic question. I mean, is there any new and, and wonderful processes that, that the industry in general is doing, or is, has pretty much, you know, the the freeze dry industry has it pretty much been more about getting good quality products uh, or using good quality components and, and and offering different meal offerings, and it, and it's pretty much just it's how good the chef is is what it comes down to. Yeah, I think the quality is the main thing. That's what um, we our feedback from our customers is. You know, the the ingredient listing um, is is what they're looking at these days, and that's what you know we like to eat. Um, so what we kind of when you when you come up with a an idea, it's normally an idea that you you want it you, yourself, and that's yeah. That's um, clean ingredients is is what what we're going to stick by there. So, um, and as far as the industry goes, you know, freeze drying it's been around for years. Um, nothing's really changed. Machineries, um, you know, the dryers have got got bigger, but um, it's it's the same process. And one thing that is pretty exciting that we are working on that I can talk about because it's not too far off is we've got a new um, packet that. We are, it's basically a, a defense style packet which has all the air pulled out of it. We just, to be able to do that, we need to have our product listed on there in a way that you can read it. And if you pull the air out of a bag like what we're using now, it wrinkles all the, all the writing and you can't read. So the issue there is if someone does have an issue with one of the allergens and they can't read the bag properly, there could be something happen you know out and about on the trail which we don't want to see so we're going to change our our packaging um over to this basically an expedition style packet that has um no no air in it it's vacuum sealed and it's um forced with nitrogen so it has a longer shelf life and fits it's just like a little parcel about as big as your hand and fits into your backpack so there's less bulk um, so rather yeah. rather than the standard packets, which have been pretty much on the market for years, uh, you've you've taken all the air out, and as a result, you've reduced the size of the packaging as well. Yeah, it's um, it's basically the the size of the um, of the meal. It's a this is a single serve meal. The size of the meal is about um, fifteen centimeters long and about six to seven centimeters. And a couple of centimeters thick, so it's it's nice and compact, fits in your bag, um, a bit easier. That's good. Yeah. I mean, I suppose it's one thing. I mean, I'm guessing the weight's probably not going to change from from the new packaging to the old. It's still the same same product, and there and air is pretty weightless to a great extent. But you know, saving that space, particularly if you're you're trying to get sort of ten or twelve days worth of food into a pack, uh, that can be, make quite a big difference on the, on the load carrying you're doing. Yeah, that's the the main thing is um, we did have we do have people that will our customers will send us a message saying 
I've just got all my my food. I'm about to do a trip. Can I open up the packets, squeeze the air out, zip seal them back up, and put them in our pack? And and there's nothing wrong with that, as as long as you zip seal them up and you know potentially put them in some sort of um, seam uh, tape seamed um, stuff sack or dry bag inside your backpack um, to you know to reduce the to reduce the bulk of them. That's fine. So. Yeah, one the next step for campers is to is to is to do that with our packaging. No, that'll that'll be that'll be good. I must admit, I'm I'm always appreciative of a smaller, more compact packaging. So, uh, you yeah. know, I think I think that'll do really well. Yeah, I think it will as well. It's it's um, you know, you look at what's what's hanging on the on the prongs and how can how can that be done better and and how would it suit um, for hiking? And sure, it looks great on a prong for retail, but the thing that doesn't suit the end user is the the bulk of it. So let's get rid of that and pull all the air out of it, and and um, still make it okay for retail, but um, make it better for the for the end user. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Now, over the last couple of years, when we've talked to you and other suppliers, one of the questions I've been asking, mainly because it's a bit of a sign of the times, is the impact of COVID. Now we seem to be a bit more back to normal. We, uh, we, we're still coming out of it, but we're moving back to a, a more regular sort of, sort of lifestyle. What sort of changes have you seen in the outdoor industry in the, in the last 12 months? Has it been pretty much business as usual for you, or have you seen many, many changes that, that – uh, that have been a something you haven't expected. Um, so COVID, we had the usual ups and downs, um, and one thing that we did see a lot of was the obviously the outdoor um, started to drop. But for us, we we saw an increase in um, people for prepping for people um, holding food at at home in case they need. They need it. Um, and, I, and I must admit, I was one of those people. I think I bought about twenty meals just to cover myself. Yeah, well, we, yeah, we were doing the same. We had we had food. You know, we'd do um, we we changed our basically our meal plan. Um, our weekly meal plan was completely changed from it. You know, buying stuff that was a lot more shelf stable and whatnot. And it's funny because I didn't have any any samples or anything at home from campus pantry which you know that was the joke with family and friends was oh we'll just come to your place because you'll have heaps of food um, <laughs> in the garage so yeah we saw a, a big spike in the, in the prepper market and like that disaster market so we have um we have got a few things on the website that will suit that and with the also with the school um outdoor market that we sell to we did see because some of these school camps were closed for a few years. Um, we saw because our, our shelf life is two years. It's what we put on our packets. Um, because of that two-year um, best before date, we saw some of the schools that are very strict on their on their use buys or best before dates um, come to us saying we we don't have um, product that we can use. Even though it is okay to use, we're, we're not going to use it. Yep. So when everything started to open up again, the school camps came back online. Our um, our our guys that we deal with there were needing to put put through orders. So that's where um, our our products we do vac seal and nitrogen flush them, so we can put a higher um, a longer date on them, best before date on them. So if something does down the track happen for um, for whatever reason, COVID or or whatnot. 
they will have that product in their food shed for a bit longer than than the normal. Um, so that was one thing that that happened um, during COVID. It just made us look at our business and what we're doing and how we can change things for the outdoor industry, but also you know where we're missing out on business. And that prepper market was was one of those. So we've got a few prepper products or disaster emergency products online now. I guess the you know the the outdoor industry. Um, which is our which is our um, our industry that we sell to. There's there's still scope for like like I said with these new packets, new um, products um, going forward. So and is uh, Campus Pantry going to be doing more with the, the snack range side of things as opposed to the the, the, the full on meals? I think so. We've we've got um, we we want the brand to have um, good categories. We want to be able to offer a, a good range and. It is. It does have good categories, and and being able to have that pantry range of ingredients, so you can cook your own trail meals, is pretty. That's pretty cool because you can, you can cook so easily with that. With the snacks, we have been uh, talking about some, some new stuff there. We when we have a dinner party at home, we do spiced pears with vanilla ice cream. So we have, um, we soak the pears in maple syrup with cinnamon and um, fresh ginger and and then serve them warm with vanilla ice cream which is pretty cool so we freeze dried some of those pears the other day put those through the dryer and they turned out unreal so that'll that'll come through in the snack range um and and for those um for those pears they you could use them for breakfast so you could cook them up with porridge you could also um have them as a as a snack and you just eat them straight out of the bag or you could have them as a as a dessert option um, if you're um, if you're wanting that. So they yeah they're really tasty. I must admit I'm always a fan of uh, pears. If I've got a choice, pears pears is pretty much close to the top of my list after say mango. But uh, uh, you know it's always everyone always does apples, but pears are the harder one to find. Yeah yeah it worked it worked out really well. The the maple syrup we could have drained a bit more off, so we've got a few more. Um, tests to do with it put it through the dryer a few few more times and see what we can do what we can do there but uh the flavor is is pretty good everyone that tried the samples was was very impressed uh and the and talking about breakfast we've just launched a couple of new breakfasts as well with um with the quick oats and they're a double serve uh porridge with freeze-dried fruit and we've got a couple of local hemp growers down here in Lonnie that we're dealing with so we put hemp in there as well they've just gone live I'll have to send you some Tim to yep. try for that'll be, that'll be good height. yeah one's um one's got blueberries in it which makes it turn bright purple um, <laughs> like something out of Willy Wonka and um and then the other one's an apple and banana so they're all ready to go and and online and then the and then the hemp hearts um you've got your um all your vitamins and minerals, omegas and protein and your fibre and stuff that you get from hemp. So just a point of difference and it's not just another just another breakfast on the market. It's using local ingredients. So we've, we've also been talking to the guys out at Van Diemen Creamery, uh, Van Diemen's Land Creamery, which is a, an ice cream uh, shop just between uh, – out near Deloraine, basically, from Lonnie. It's on the way to Cradle Mountain from Launceston. It's on the main highway. Yep. And we 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 freeze dried about six or seven of their 
ice creams, put them through the dryers to see how they'd turn out, and they've turned out incredible. The um, the flavour is spot on. So they've got they've got award winning ice creams and all these different flavours. They've got forty to fifty different flavours. So if you if you are going past, you've got to stop in because it's incredible ice cream. So we are looking at doing like a co-branded product with them where it's uh, the campus pantry, obviously, you know, to the hikers um, sitting on top of a mountain and and you just eat it straight out of the bag. So it'll be a, a co-branded with um, Van Diemen's Land Creamery at some point, which is pretty exciting. Um, we've just got to figure out what the best way to put it through the dryers um, and, and either do it in we're talking about either put it in an ice block tray or some sort of tray that we can pop out and then blast chill before we put it up onto the trays for the for the freeze drying process so that's something to look forward to and everything with all the samples that we've done of their ice cream have just been unbelievable Uh, all right so we've been talking with aj from campus pantry thanks for taking the time to talk to us no worries thanks for having me tim so in talking to Campus Pantry, while AJ did actually say that they're releasing or in the process of working on 30 new products, I think the thing that was most exciting for me was the fact that they're going through and vacuum sealing their food. I think if you go into an outdoor store and look at the meals, in most cases the, the bags look, well, they're different colours and different logos and things like that. Uh, they're all roughly of similar sort of size. Uh, and I've I've had situations where I've had carried anything up to 12 days worth of food. And when you get 12 days worth of freeze-dried food, which doesn't weigh very much, uh, but it does actually take up a bit of bulk. And by reducing the size, that can have quite a big impact on the size of the pack that you need to carry. You know, 12 freeze-dried meals takes up a lot of space. And certainly getting them down in size to, as AJ said, I think size-wise, he's, he's t- he told me they're roughly around about 12 centimetres long by about six centimetres wide by a couple of centimetres thick. Uh, that's probably around about a third of what a an uncompressed bag would would take up. Uh, so it means really for uh, you can fit probably three bags in for what used to be only the space of one bag. So again, that's something that's going to be really good to see coming onto the market. He also talked about uh, the ice cream. Uh, and again, there has been free, you can pretty much freeze dry anything you want. You know, if if you can think about it or if you can you can eat it, it can be freeze dried. But in a lot of cases, what's often been done in the past when you're talking about freeze drying ice cream is to use really cheap uh, ice cream. Uh, and they were talking about uh, partnering with a Tasmanian company that produces high-quality ice cream and freeze-drying that. Uh, and from what he was saying is the quality is just there. Uh, and not that it was included in this podcast, but the uh, the pro- manufacturer of this ice cream had taken some of this freeze-dried ice cream and dipped it in chocolate, uh, and apparently it was pretty amazing. So I think this is something that I'm very much looking forward to coming out on the market. Uh, and I think it's the sort of thing that, you know, do you wait till dinner time or do you eat this as a morning snack? Uh, you know, I don't think there's anybody, unless you do have a, a dairy intolerance, it's not going to appreciate uh, uh, this when it does come to the market.
So for our next interview, we're talking to Andrew Patterson, the Australian and New Zealand distributor for The North Face. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us. Oh, hi, Tim. Yeah, thank you. Great to be here. Okay, so we haven't talked to you before in relation to one of these annual gear reviews. Um, I suppose while North Face is probably a relatively well-known name, can you provide a bit of a a brief overview about what North Face does, particularly in relation to hiking? Yeah, no worries. Well, I guess um, probably just start with a little bit of background on the North Face for, for listeners that maybe aren't familiar with the brand and, and put it in some context for them. But, yeah, the North Face has been around since uh, 1966, so sort of coming off 55 years now, so one of the oldest outdoor brands in the world. And they they really started with that desire to fill a need for technical and, and outdoor apparel and equipment that wasn't wasn't readily available in the 60s um, and, and getting people – uh, connected with gear and also with the knowledge of how to use that gear and, and get out in the outdoors and be safe and make the most of the outdoors. And very early on, they started manufacturing uh, equipment. So again, looking for gaps in the market and uh, filling filling niches and needs that weren't weren't being um, addressed at the time. So you know, technology developments like the intro, you know, not that they invented down jackets, but really developing down jackets lightweight packable warmth uh things like the oval intention tent which was you know one of the first geodesic design tents which at the time you know was still using a-frame two-pole a-frame tents were the norm uh, and then the north face partnering with eastern aluminium launched the oval intention which was that you know the tents we know and use a lot today in the outdoors where we have those thin aluminium poles that make lovely shapes and and give us a lot of internal comfortable living space and lots of room in our tents for, for not a lot of weight um you know they perform really well so that's yeah i guess a little bit of a little bit of a potted history there and yeah today i guess the brand really provides a whole spectrum of um outdoor equipment and apparel so we make you know a, a full range of tents backpacks sleeping bags um through to you know your head to toe apparel assortment as well from um, you know outer layers insulation uh, base layers through to footwear um, they really really cover it all uh, for for that outdoor consumer I think from a from a hike perspective it's it's an interesting space for us we've got you know, very you know rooted in that sort of mountaineering climbing space is is a very um, active space for the brand and and then it's sort of the product that trickles down from from there so i guess jacketing is is a really key part of what we do and that starts with uh you know shells and outer layers so we have a have plenty of options there and also your mid layers and your insulation so lightweight packable down uh fleece uh your your heavier bulkier down jackets for, for colder climates as well, depending on, on where people are going. All right. And certainly from my perspective, I've, you know, North Face has been a name that I've known for a number of years. And and certainly for the last five to six years, I've been using North Face jackets. Both most myself, myself and my wife have been using uh, North Face jackets as, as our go-to jackets for our hiking adventures. So I think it's a name that's familiar either being carried by a number of stores around the country or in the standalone stores that you have scattered around the country as well? 
Yeah, definitely. We've got got uh, a good broad distribution network for sure, up to um, ten stores in Australia, New Zealand now, and, and they're our, our flagship or our, our branded standalone stores. And then, yeah, quite a quite a network of wholesale um, retailers as well. And within that network, we, we've sort of got your you know your big box um, uh, you know outdoor retailer. Uh, through up to our, you know, our specialty specialty retailers that are catering to those customers that are looking for that really specific technical, you know, whether it be mountaineering apparel or, or you know, particularly at the moment, a lot of people pushing into, you know, discovering backcountry skiing for the first time, you know, so that's that's something we're seeing a lot of growth in and a lot of people asking more about that kind of product. So we're, you know, trying to make sure we've got distribution in the places where those people are are and and you know everyone's accessing the outdoors in kind of different different ways at the moment and lots of new people discovering the outdoors so yeah i think there's um there's plenty of plenty of places for people to access the brand depending on what what level of uh you know from enthusiasts uh newly discovering the outdoors through to you know seasoned uh grizzled mountaineering uh kind of people Okay. Now, um, I think like you, probably like every other supplier and manufacturer, has probably had a, a difficult past few years with, with COVID in particular and then and the flow-on effect with supply chains. But what's what's been the key items that you've either released over the last sort of 12 to 18 months and and, and if you're able to tell us what, what exciting things do we have looking to look forward to in the coming year or so? Yeah, sure. Yeah, COVID um... – COVID definitely really timed itself well for us. Uh, it's it's um, that we had a couple of yeah fairly significant product launches, and it's not so much in the last eighteen months, but definitely in the last couple of COVID years, I guess. So starting late twenty nineteen, early twenty twenty, uh, the brand launched its um, new outerwear fabrication called Futurelight. So that was you know, one of the biggest product developments the brand had embarked on in quite some time um, previous to that they'd sort of talk about you know the big launches of synthetic insulation with thermoball um, prior to that was kind of the previous really big launch so future light was really quite revolutionary for us in that it was trying to really uh really battle that breathability um aspect of our waterproof breathable fabrics i mean there's there's obviously market leaders in that space and plenty of plenty of different types of fabric around and the north face has always had you know a long history of um you know innovation and really work they do a lot of work with their athlete um athlete teams and and expeditions that athlete tested expedition proven is really a mantra that the brand kind of lives by and is always looking to develop gear that will allow athletes to do what they do in the mountains um, but also pass that on down through to the end consumer so future light came from that um, and like i said really looking to shake up the waterproof breathable space and and give some give us something that that breathed a lot more than the current um current offering on the market you know a lot of people you know we're familiar with our, our waterproof breathable fabrics and they definitely are, are great at keeping water out, uh, but often, you know, you can end up in, particularly in our 
in our conditions um, down here, we've got a you know very high humidity in a lot of places. You know, we end up getting quite quite damp on the inside as well. Yeah, it's yeah. such it's such a challenge, um, and it's really that you know that staying staying dry is what keeps us really keeps us so keeps us safe in the outdoors. As soon as we sort of sort of get damp on the inside, um, where we're starting to you know, head down that road towards towards hypothermia and, and those kind of complications. So yeah, the North Face uh, developed FutureLite as a a nano woven membrane. So they've got complete control over over the membrane. So it's a it's a classic kind of you know sandwich fabrication with a membrane and then face fabrics and backer fabrics like we we know with lots of other three layer fabrics on the market. But what they did differently was using this nano weaving technology to to lay down a membrane that they have complete control over um, the density of that membrane. So they refer to it as being a tunable membrane. So they can vary the the thickness and the openness of the weave of that membrane depending on the kind of end use that the garment's going to be designed for. And then also being able to layer whatever face fabric and backer fabrics they want on top of that to again work better for um, the different end use that it might be going to be used for. So like a you know a lightweight running shelf might be designed to be really um, super super breathable and, and very thin, uh, whereas our um, you know heavier duty mountaineering shells might trade off a bit more on the breathability and focus a bit more on durable um, heavy heavyweight fabrication. So that was yeah that was our biggest biggest launch that we've done in the last few years and that fabric is you know in in very different forms runs through um, a lot of our higher end products so you know we've got lightweight lightweight running shells in our flight series range um, through to sort of general hiking shells um, in our general outdoor range and then into our high-end mountaineering and skiing uh, product so yeah that's that's been really exciting Um, certainly We've all kind of been enjoying using it and testing it um, the last few years and trying to get out it as, as best we can, um, thanks to COVID. Um, but yeah, I was just down skiing in Threadbow this week and had a good good mix of conditions. Nice sunny day on Wednesday, and then yeah, a little bit wetter, softer, drizzly conditions yesterday. And um, yeah, certainly the comfort levels of those of those fabrications, I find really really good particularly on someone that runs quite quite warm i'd say i run quite a hot motor and generally find the limit you know quite often we'll have a shell off very quickly if i don't have to have it on but i've certainly found this with the future light fabric you can just you can really can keep it on for a much longer period of time and i think the first piece i really used was um some of our ski ski shells in that fabric um a few years ago it was a really lightweight stretchy almost felt like soft shell but it the pants kind of disappeared into the background you didn't didn't even think about them your movement wasn't sort of impinged you know quite a stretchy fabric and i was like oh this really is um really is a great great option for getting outside and and not sort of being you know held back by by fabrics which is which has been good I must admit, um, I must admit, it's um, most people don't seem to think about rain gear and uh, protective shells as being a particularly sexy sort of thing. It's always about the packs and the tents. <laughs> yeah, but, but I think um, certainly I've got the same sort of issue as you that you know, even though we get snow in Australia, it's not really that cold. 
uh, and I yeah. find that I will often get, even though it might be snowing or heavily heavily snowed area, I find I've stripped a lot of layers off because I am feeling that you know, I'm starting to warm up too much. So uh, having things that provide the ability to keep you dry but also don't overheat you is is uh, is something that yeah, I always tend to look for, particularly from a hiking perspective. Oh. Yeah, it's so it's so crucial, um, and and it's yeah it, yeah yeah totally. People don't don't sort of think of their their apparel as equipment. And someone was telling me about one of the new footwear brands the other day, and they they refer to their shoes as equipment. They call it equipment, which I thought was was interesting an interesting take on it. Yeah, the really the key thing with what they've done with Futurelight is build a very high degree of air permeability um, into the into the fabric. So you actually depending on the garment but on some of the you know the lighter stuff you actually do feel you can feel air moving through it so it's still classed as um as windproof it sort of ranges about 0.9 in a, in a cfm rating with some, you know some most waterproof fabrics are generally around a pretty much a zero cfm there's no no air kind of moving across the or through the garment but yeah about 0.91 it, it does allow just that sort of some air to move through that that does take away help help it to breathe and, and move moisture out of the out of the garment so yeah it's it, it really is really is um quite exceptional compared to what what i've been used to in in the past um so yeah that that's been been great um I and mean, we still use a lot of our other um in-house brand waterproof fabric called um, Drivent, which is is sort of in the in the lower price points and very common. But yeah, Futurelight has has definitely been the big the big push for us the last few seasons. And like I say, yeah, great timing. Uh, our real real big season for it was going to be winter twenty, um, and obviously we're uh, yeah all in varying degrees of, of lockdown and things like that. So that that's been um, been challenging. Uh, and then yeah, more recently um our footwear new footwear sole technology or platform called vective was probably the latest um product technology that we we launched uh, also in in the time of covid um but that's been been really well received as well and yeah also like a lot of people don't they don't give their footwear that much thought either i I think like it's sort of often um you know when i was working in stores like people would come in and, and they'd sort of you know again want to look at those higher higher priced items or those more sort of seemingly technical items and we'd often try and really start people with like when we're kidding them out it's like well let's start with your shoes because that's what you're going to spend um spend all your you know all your time on if, if you're hiking and or, you know generally outdoors there's a lot of time spent on our feet so getting that good foundation under our feet is obviously really key uh, to having a good time in the outdoors and the north face uh, you know people maybe aren't that familiar with um with the fact that we do make footwear and i guess we're probably not that sort of you know first to mind in that you know when i think hiking you know i obviously you know grew up as as a child of of scarpa boots and that that very traditional um rugged leather hiking hiking boot um that we you know a lot of us were were put into um in our in our early hiking experiences and still still very common today and yeah i think we're a little bit more on that softer uh, more versatile footwear angle and, and a lot sort of driven by by technology from running that running shoe technology so you know those lighter more cushioned shoes 
um, but, but still um, trying to find the right balance of support and, and comfort. And so Vective um, is the latest iteration of, of that for the North Face and it's it's our sole unit. It's a sole unit technology. Again, it's not one one thing that, that sits in one pair of shoes. It runs through um, a majority of our footwear range now in, in different um, different aspects. But really the kind of key ingredients of it is that it has a, um, a supportive plate, which isn't new in, in our outdoor shoes. You know, there's lots of different plate technologies around. But what um, the Vective technology does, it puts it at the top of the, of the sole unit. So it sits directly under your foot as opposed to sort of, you know, being between the midsole and the, um, and the sole unit or, or in the midsole. It's right under our feet um, in some shoes. It's in some of the high-end running shoes. It's made from carbon, but then it's it's sort of varying levels of, of types of plastics as you move down the line. But that's a it's a three D molded plate that gives a lot of um, support to the to the foot. So that sort of lateral support to give us um, structure when we're on uneven terrain, which is obviously really important if we're carrying packs and, and loads on our backs or moving over rough rocky terrain. Um, but it also helps to um, give us give us some forward propulsion as well, and it's kind of a little bit. It sounds a bit weird to talk about it, but when you, you sort of try the shoes on, you, you definitely feel um, this kind of it do kind of move you forward, and and that um, comes in from the 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 midsole unit that sits under that foot plate is is kind of like on a rocker profile that allows for um, uh, I guess an optimal use of our of our natural gait. And, and a good foot strike, but it does sort of really roll you forward as you as you kind of you know come down and step off. It gives you a nice sort of flow to your um, to your stride, be that running or hiking. Uh, and then the final piece of the the Vective story is our surface control um, sole unit, which is is a you know, it's a rubber sole unit. Most people sort of probably don't give that much thought to their sole units either. But um, the North Face has a has a lot of uh, in-house design and laboratory testing, and, and they developed this surface control compound and, and solute design specifically for their shoes. And they're very confident that it, that it stacks up well um, against the sort of name brand um, sole units that we're all familiar with on the market. Um, and the really cool thing as well, they're using a 40% bio-based um, rubber in those, in those sole units. So really kind of trying to start to, um, bring renewable content into footwear, which um, is probably one of those areas that's maybe the hardest to, to really start to um, move towards those more recycled, renewable production methods in, in shoes because there's just so much so much going on in those in those shoes under our feet. Um, so yeah, we we have um, a family of running shoes, which is where Vective was launched. But then now that's um, rolled out to our hiking shoe collection as well, which we have our Explorus, uh, Vective Explorus range, which comes in mid cuts and low cuts, um, leather fabrications as well as sort of full synthetics. And they launched uh, sort of early, probably around summer 2020 into 21. So they've been in the market for a few seasons now. And Feedback's been great. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of good take up in the running space. Uh, trail running is is a still a very niche market, uh, I think, in Australia. But it's um, something that we've been playing in for, or not playing in, in supporting in for a long time and um, developing 
uh, product for trail runners and we've seen that technology move from trail running into our into our hiking footwear as well and i guess i was saying that um having those sort of lighter more versatile hike shoes is, is where we sit as opposed to that you know i'm trekking in you know deep southwest tasmania for two weeks um with with a really really heavy pack on my back kind of thing i think there's probably more uh more specific footwear for that outside of our range but um i mean having said that i remember a friend of mine hiking in tassie for two weeks in a pair of dunlop kt26s <laughs> when they're when they're hiking uh yeah the hiking boots they were in uh, gave them uh, horrendous blisters on the first day and didn't come out of the pack for the next two weeks so yeah i think it's that you know everyone's got their their levels of experience and and you know people are uh, you know happy to to make those trade-offs depending on on what they what they know and what they're familiar with and how confident they are okay so that's the, the the key items that have come out over the last couple of years have you got yep. anything new and exciting that we can look forward to either in this coming season or the coming couple oh, of seasons yeah i think uh it like definitely with with covid i think what we've seen with our um with our range is is definitely a sort of sticking to the, the tried and true pieces um we've, we've said certainly been fairly fairly stable um we do have some quite cool mountaineering packs that have just come out in the last few last season or so that are the newest things for us uh coming up i'm i think it's a bit of a watch this space there uh we've certainly seen um the the CADs for our fall 23 range that uh, that we will take starts showing to our wholesale accounts later this year, which I'm um, definitely excited about some stuff in there, but too soon to, to talk about that. But I think what – I mean, the thing for me that I think one of the things that's definitely been uh, happening a lot that, again, doesn't get doesn't get talked about, maybe isn't as, as sexy as, you know, new, new technologies, but what – you know the north face and i guess a lot of the other outdoor brands have been doing is just really focusing on that um recycled and renewable content in their in their manufacturing and supply chain lines and and that's certainly yeah like a lot of the work the north face has been doing the last few years uh, and into the next few years is is really focused around around that goal um and for the North Face, it's it's a goal of being 100% recycled or renewable fabrications for apparel by 2025, and 2030 for equipment and footwear. And um, like last year, in apparel, recycled synthetics were 72% of our of our line, and uh, they're on track to be 81% by the end of this year. So that that's kind of that. I guess you know, it's not sort of it's not new technology that is maybe as um, crucial to what we do in the outdoors but i guess in terms of um longevity of uh of of product and um you know doing the right thing by the environment it's definitely a big a big part of what the brand's focused on and you know things like moving towards um you know non-pfc dwrs and and those kind of technology changes have been big focuses because you know the, the way traditional dwrs have been applied to fabrics is not the way the non-pfc dwrs are applied and so there's been you know just big shifts in in factories and supply chain production technologies has sort of been happening in the background a lot more the last few years i think as well 
No, that's it's it definitely seems to be a trend, and particularly with COVID, I think people have gone away from bringing out a new tent every season or a new pack every season, uh, and focusing on getting getting the environmental friendliness of their range. And that seems to have even before COVID hit, that was a a direction that everyone was heading. And it's, and it's good to see the the companies that have been around for quite a while uh, looking at how they can make their products have less of an impact on the environment. So it's a, it's it's to be applauded. Yeah, I think uh, you know everyone's got a vested interest in you know if without without a without a you know good natural environment to to go and use all this you know use the gear we sell and and make um, is is kind of pointless. So yeah, it's it's definitely something that I mean the North Face has been doing that for a long time. Um, it's been part of their kind of ethos since since day one, but certainly the the pace of it has has ramped up. You know, it's it's ramped up a lot. Um, probably the last five, at least the last five years, and and a lot of that's been to do with just getting the, um, you know, the the production, the ability to do it, or or even, you know, a few years ago they were talking about just trying to source enough recycled polyester and nylon was was not easy, and and with the size of the brand that the North Face is, like to shift. To shift, uh, I guess, a key franchise. They're sort of really focusing on moving key franchises um, one at a time into into recycled fabrications. You know, they had to be certain that the volume of uh, recycled material was going to be on hand to be able to do that do that properly. So I think there's a lot of sort of things that you know we don't see or or, or take for granted that you know, a lot of people are working on to 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 get right, which takes it takes time um, for sure. All right. Now, one thing that's um, that's relatively unique to the North Face is that you have grants for outdoor adventurers. Do you want to tell us a bit about those? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the like exploration is something that's integral to the North Face, and it's it's you know our sort of tagline of, of never stop exploring has has been with the brand for a long time, and um, the brand's ethos has has always been about enabling exploration from from the early days of getting the right gear to people, but also giving people knowledge to get out outside and use it appropriately. Um, and a few, I think it could be 10 years maybe now, um, probably not far off 10 years um, in Australia, we set up the, the North Face Adventure Grant, um, partnering with Ausgeo, and that was a, a, that is a program that uh, provides grants of equipment and, and funds to, to people that, have got uh, expeditions or, or unique trips that they want to go on. So there's a um, there's a window opens for applications each year, and people can send send in their uh, grant applications for for trips that they want to do. And uh, we have a panel of um, of the North Face team and some external people that help to select the, the winners of those grants. And that's uh, been really cool to see that see the evolution of that over the years as well, because it used to be sort of we'd pick one big project um each each year and in the last few years we've started to kind of pick more um more projects but sort of smaller projects and particularly under COVID um you know there, there sort of had to be more local projects as well which has been been quite interesting um to see some of the cool things that people have been pitching um to come up with there but also just this week as well um the our North Face team in Australia and New Zealand are really excited to 
announced the launch of um, the Explore Fund in Australia and New Zealand, and that's a program that's been running in the US since 2010. And the the cool thing about that fund is it's designed to provide grants to community organisations that work to um, support access and equity in the outdoors, uh, you know, to try and, yes, open the outdoors up to, to groups and, and people that, you know, may traditionally not feel um, that they they can engage in the outdoors or they're, they're welcome in the outdoors. So it's a, a really uh, great initiative. Uh, is a, there's a separate council to, to, to us that's been picked by ex, its external people um, that, that are responsible for, for managing those grants and, and working with community groups and promoting, promoting fair access and equity in the outdoors. So, yeah, we're really excited about that. It's been something that's been in the, in the works for a long time. Uh, so our, our team that are behind that are, are really, really happy that that's finally come to light and looking forward to seeing the, the groups that we partner with there and, yeah, all in the name of, of getting everyone outdoors and enjoying it. It's good to see outdoor companies putting something back into it. And it's, uh, the, those grants that you mentioned uh, are excellent ways of doing that. I'll, I'll actually put the link to the, uh, those grants in our show notes. So if anyone's interested yeah, in taking those up, um, uh, I'll have the resources available for to click through and find out more about them. Awesome. That'd be wonderful. Thanks, Tim. Okay. So we've been talking to Andrew Patterson uh, from The North Face. Thanks very much for taking the time to talk with us. No, Tim. It's been a pleasure to join you. Thank you. Now, for us, this is the first time we've actually gone through and interviewed North Face, and it's a... It's a bit of an interesting sort of company, as as uh, Andrew mentioned. This is a company that's been around for roughly about fifty five years. So uh, there's uh, there's only a handful, probably, of companies that that have the longevity that North Face has. And I think it's a product that most people will recognise. Uh, their jackets, in particular, are something that's really well known. And while North, the North Face has gone through and opened up dedicated North Face stores in various cities around Australia and New Zealand. They also supply into just about every outdoor store in Australia. It's rare that you go into an outdoor store and they don't stock North Face. We've been big fans of North Face jackets, and both Jill and I use the Thermoball jackets. Uh, We just like them and have continued to like them for the last six years. They just fit us well, they last well, and they do their job very well. But in addition, that they are a company that also do other products which possibly aren't as well known. So things like the Vective footwear, which is which has been out probably for about twelve to eighteen months now, and it's unfortunately for me they don't make my size fifteen that uh, that I need to be have to wear. Uh, but I love the design of them. They've got a rocker style design, uh, and if you have a look at the image in the show notes, it'll be really obvious what you mean what I mean by rocker style. So have a look at the photos and I'll explain that a bit more in depth. I like the idea of the design and what they've done with them. Uh, and and yeah, and I'm looking forward to hopefully at some stage down the track that they will make them in my size. But it certainly, if they had have made them in my size, it would have been something that I've definitely would have been keen to try out. In addition, they're talking about bringing new materials out in relation to uh, waterproof shells. Uh, or outdoor shells, whether they be windbreakers or waterproof. Uh, and I think this is one of these things that people 
when they're buying rain jackets, don't really seem to think, put much thought into it. It's let's just buy a raincoat um, without actually necessarily looking at the materials that go into making them. You, you grab five jackets, put them together, and they all look very similar, and it's pretty hard to tell them apart in a lot of cases. And what it often comes down to is the features that are being offered and the technology that goes into making the material. And being able to get a shell that is breathable and waterproof at the same time is a hard ask, uh, and they've certainly bought ranges of, of material, ranges of product out that fits this sort of category. So we're hoping to be able to go through and test some of these over the coming months uh, just to see how they they, they pan out. But I, uh, certainly they they look really good and they have some very good features on them. So I'm looking forward to testing them out. As they mentioned through there uh, in the interview that uh, North, the North Face has been in an environmentally uh, considered and friendly company for many years. Um, but funnily enough, they haven't really made a big thing about it. They've just gone through and done it and haven't made a big fanfare about it. But certainly they're starting to talk about it a bit more because they've been doing it for years and they are continuing to look at ways of improving their product and making them more environmentally friendly. So it's a good thing to see. And the last thing I'll mention on North Face is their Adventurers Grants. Uh, this company, along with Australian Geographic, has been the only two companies that I'm aware of that do do these annual grants that help people achieve some adventures that they may or may not be able to do. Uh, it's like any grant process. You need to submit an application and tell a story that 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 meets the requirements. Uh, and certainly it's, it's the sort of thing that um, if you're having trouble getting out and about, and in particular their focus is leaning towards getting groups out that wouldn't necessarily be able to get out. So um, have a look at the, go to the links in the show notes and see if this is something that you or the group you work with uh, may find this of benefit. Um, but all the details are there that tell you what they're looking for and what you need to submit uh, to be considered for these grants. So we're now talking to Dave Casey from Outdoor Agencies, the Australian importer of Osprey Packs. Thanks very much for taking your time to talk to us. Hi, Tim. Good afternoon. How are you going? Okay. So looking over the last couple of years, certainly the impact of COVID worldwide has sort of slowed the release of a lot of new models. But the thing that I've been most excited to see released just recently in Australia is the new uh, Osprey Exos and Eja range. Uh, tell us a bit about those new packs. Yeah, so I guess both those families or the Exos Asia family, the Exos being the men's and Asia being the ladies, um, have been in our range for many, many years. Um, they have generally have an update every three to four years, probably every four years. Um, and 2022 was the due date for a update to those bags. So they've had um, some, I guess, some nice updates to um, make them a more comfortable, more user-friendly pack and is also more sustainable in their design as well, which is a great update. I must admit, I, I had a chance to look at them. Um, and in fact, only yesterday uh, when I was down in Melbourne uh, and managed to get sort of sit there and play with them and have a good look at them. Uh, cosmetically, I think they look quite nice. It's sort of, um, I know it's only a, a minor thing, but they just look, they look like a, 
a much nicer, more modern-looking pack, uh, and, I, and, I, and it's more, as I said, it's purely cosmetic, but I just like the look of them. Yeah, it's interesting. That a lot of people do comment on that sort of thing, that generally Osprey bags, they can, I wouldn't say date, but you can sort of tell each generation by just those slight tweaks to the graphics, and all of our retailers and all of our customers um, have all definitely had that similar sort of feedback. They look really, really nice, and all colours look great, and there's no real... Colour, they go, oh, that's not a very nice colour. I won't have that. I won't, won't buy that one. And I'm having to choose between three colours because all three colours are really nice and the styling and the, I guess, that design is a very nice update. Thank you. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, one of the things that's been interesting, and, and this is probably a, a broader question or broader response across the whole of the uh, the Osprey range, that that lighter coloured grey has become a, a, a choice over the last few years in a range of packs. Uh, and I think um, the bright colours, while they can be really good, uh, whereas grey or even the the blues and the blacks tend to be less upsetting if people people don't like the Larry colours. Yeah, I would agree. I guess definitely when we look at our sales, um, blacks and blues tend to be the stronger sellers. Um, a, a photographer will always like a nice bright colour if you <laughs> miss and want to take a photo of a backpack, something that's nice and bright and pops. Um, so our I guess inverted commas marketing colours tend to be nice and bright, um, and that will usually draw you to the pack wall or look at that image and go, "Wow, it's an awesome looking bag." Um, but then quite often you'll walk away with a blue or a teal or a a grey or a black bag um, tends to be that sort of stronger seller. Um, but yeah, definitely, I think all colours are nice, and there's definitely I guess those sort of um, prosumer um, photographers out there or people who think they are good photographers um, and. Definitely, they sort of lend towards having that sort of nice bright colour as well. But definitely, I think all colours are really quite work well. Now, for me, the changes over the previous model of this pack, and I've I've owned the two previous versions of these these packs, is they've gone through and put the hip belt pockets back on again, uh, and they've also gone through and made a change to the the back uh, frame. Uh, tell us a bit about both of those uh, updates to this pack. Yeah, I guess in the previous version, the hip belt pockets was one thing that everyone came back said, where are they going? We need them back. We want them back. Um, I, I understand why Osprey decided to remove them in the first place. Um, they did see there's a, a slight point of wear and tear. If you're pushing through some scrub or pushing past the sort of rocky ledge, it's tend to leave your hip. So that can take a little bit more abuse. So they're trying to... Um, make the bag a slightly more durable, um, but everyone was happy with the idea of um, having for a little less durability and a little bit more weight. Naturally, the pocket has a bit more weight to the bag. Um, but as soon as everyone realised that the hip belt pockets are back, they're like, "Yeah, hip belt pockets are back." And definitely, the harness has had a great adjustment um, update as well. So the previous version as well came in three harness lengths, but once you found your length, you couldn't really adjust the length of the harness because it's sort of a sewn in um, shoulder straps at the at the harness um at the suspension where it sits there um with the updated version there's an injection molded ladder which allows around about four inches or 15 centimeters of adjustment um so you can really find that um, perfect fit to fit your torso length once you've found your harness length um that you've gone for um so it definitely allows more adjustability once you're on the trail or if in the store or however you're buying your bag um you can definitely adjust the bag to fit you perfectly. 
Yeah, I think that's a that's not a bad thing. As, as I said, I looked at this yesterday and thought, oh, this is an adjustable back frame, and which, um, as you say, the previous models didn't have that option. And being able to provide, while for a lot of people, you know, I, I typically get go for the larger pack. I put it on, I, I, I lengthen it out to its longest longest length because that that's the way it works. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how this one goes. Just having that, as you say, that you know someone might be an inch or two shorter or slightly shorter on the torso, and being able to adjust within each of the uh, the different sizings uh, just gives that extra bit of uh, versatility. Uh, that, and I'm, I'm assuming it probably adds a tiny bit of extra weight as well. But I think a bit of extra weight to get the additional comfort is well worth it. Yeah, I think that's the sort of the thing. I guess I can understand there's definitely a growing group of hikers or backpackers, uh, bushwalkers, who are counting every single gram and are more than happy with a front bag um, with no adjustability and ultralight everything. Um, however, there's still definitely a greater cohort of um, hikers and bushwalkers who do like the idea. I'm happy to carry a little bit more weight but be in more comfort if I sure I'm carrying an extra 300 grams of weight in a bag, but if that's a more comfortable experience for myself, um, why not? So it's definitely, I guess, two, cents, two sides of the fence you can sit on. Um, but I think that definitely the Exos Asia, they sort of um, sit on the fence quite well. It's not the lightest bag in the world, um, but it's not the heaviest bag in the world, but it still gives really good comfort and really good adjustability to find that sort of as perfect as you can find um, comfort. I know. Looking at, it, I'm a I'm a keen follower of the US long trails, and from what I understand, this pack family uh, is one of the most commonly seen on the long distance trails in the states. And I think it just has that versatility and durability without being the lightest, but it would also it carries heavier weights than most of the really ultralight packs. And for most people, I'm the same. I um, I don't mind sacrificing a few hundred grams for that additional comfort, particularly when you're doing long distances, uh, carrying slightly heavier weights. It just makes a, it makes a huge difference. 100%, yeah. I think a lot of people um, you know, aspire to have that really lightweight pack um, and maybe if they're doing a week-long walk, by day four, that pack is coming to its own. Um, but the first few days, it's a bit of a suffer fest to get to that really nice, comfortable level for those sort of super ultralight bags. Um, so having that sort of happy medium, and that's something that Osprey was aware of as well, that this bag is very, very, very popular on the through hikes um, in the US and Europe and also very popular in Australia. So they have worked a little bit on the, the sort of increase in the durability as well. They're using some stronger meshes where the meshes are and pockets and so forth, the stretch mesh, um, and also some of the mesh that's on the, the, the I guess, the harness, the back panel, um, as well as some of the seam designs have been tweaked a little bit as well just to give that extra bit of durability if you are using it for four months on the trail in one big hit doing the PCT and you've got a bag that can sort of handle that use and abuse which is four months of hiking is most people's dream of a year, 10 years worth of hiking um, spread over four months so <laughs> um, the design to that sort of end customer or end I guess bushwalker or user in mind who's will be using it for that sort of style of bag trip now, the other thing, I suppose, as well, with the older ranges, there used to be a 38-litre, a 48-litre, and a 58-litre size. Uh, from what I can see, where Osprey is focusing more on the 48 and the 58-litre sizes in this newest release? Yeah, in Australia, I guess Australia is cobbled into sort of the inverted commas, the rest of the world, um, Osprey Europe. 
um, and North America. Um, there's close to I don't know, a few hundred million people in each of those populations. So they, they still keep those sort of smaller volumes in there. They smell, they sell as, as a percentage, a small percentage, but when you've got a very large population, a small percent is still a large amount, a really large amount. Um, however, in Australia, the rest of the world, including New Zealand and South America and um, Asia and so forth, um, that sort of smaller volume bag wasn't really um, in high demand, um, both by end users as well as um, the retailers. Um, in the Osprey range, there's Talons and Tempest and Stratus and Cirrus and a handful of other styles that sort of sit in that sort of mid to high 30 litre volumes um, with both a more back frame or a vented back frame, depending on what you're looking for. Um, so we're sort of ha happy there with what we've got there. Um, and like I said, the core of our sales are probably the 58 followed by the 48. Um, and then the 38 was a long way behind there, not day up between the two. So Yeah, I think um, for a lot of people it almost pushes it down into the day pack category or maybe a, a single overnight if you're lucky. But uh, for most people it, it, it's a struggle to get down that low and, and still carry everything you need. So. Right, yeah, yep. So I think um, the 58 and 48, as well as the other styles that we have, should keep most people happy with what they're looking for. Now, what else, is there anything else that we can look forward to that you're able to tell us uh, from Osprey in the next year or so? Are there any, uh, apart from model upgrades and colour changes, are there any uh, any new packs or new exciting things coming out from Osprey? Yeah, I guess um, the COVID supply chain issues are sort of continuing. Um, I think most people have found issues in finding some sort of either outdoor bit of gear or a, a camera or if they're buying a car. Um, there's been long delays and so forth. So um, I guess we've been haven't been immune to those sort of things. Um, but saying that the the wheels keep on turning with Osprey and new styles being released. Um, like you mentioned, the Exos Asia um, was owned, has only really just been released in Australia at the moment. Um, in theory, probably should have released or been launched a few months ago. Um, but just our stock was slow in arriving due to some sort of um, lockdowns and so forth in Vietnam where Osprey is manufactured late last year. Um, so that sort of all just snowballed into some delays. Um, but there are some updates due on the way. Um, I guess this time next year or hopefully closer to early next year, there will be some sort of extra ultralight weight backpacks um, that will be sort of be updates to some styles or maybe redesigns of some styles out there. Um, and I guess during this winter, sorry, our summer I should say, um, there'll be a few updates to some sort of more everyday carry office going to and from work as well as travel ranges as well. So generally in Australia, our bushwalking, hiking bags to get updated during winter and our travel updates come during our summer. Um, and there'll be some running backpacks and some waterproof backpacks as well. Um, so there's definitely always some new things that are exciting um, as well as updates, like you've mentioned with the Exos Asia as a good example, um, that will sort of come through. And just recently we have updated the Atmos and the Aura um, to coincide with the Exos and Asia. And then there's another bag actually called the Sportlight. And the Sportlight has just been released as well. And that sort of sits between our Daylight, which is a bit of a everyone's bag to do everything and anything, um, jack of all trades, and then the Talon Tempest, so the Sportlight sort of fits in that sort of um, middle of the ground there between those two styles of bags, depending on what sort of feature set and character. So there's definitely always something interesting new coming out or good updates. Yeah, good question. So the Sportlight is um, uh, without – I mean, I have, I've only seen images on the web, so 
is can he class the Sportlight as a, a stripped back version of the Tempest? Uh, yeah, it is a bit more version of the Tempest. Sort of sits in between the Daylight, um, the, the Tempest, and the Talon. Um, has an injection molded frame sheet, um, which loads and carries very, very well. It's very comfortable. Um, it does mean it's a little bit more expensive than um, a more basic version of an Atalon frame sheet. It's just sort of foam frame sheet. Um, yeah. So not everyone needs to carry as supportive as Tom Tempest needs or they maybe can't quite justify a $200 backpack. They want something that sort of sits in that sort of mid-hundreds. Um, and that's a bag that can sort of sit and be comfortable for a lot of people. Um, and also fit budgets of different, well, depending on what your budget is and how much you can justify spending on outdoor gear, especially a lot of new hikers joined um, because bushwalking, found bushwalking hiking during the last two years of COVID lockdowns and um, staying domestically traveling in Australia. Um, and not everyone wants to spend, I guess, $200 on a bag as their first backpack. Um, yep. That's the is a great bag and they just want something that maybe is a little bit less expensive um, but still carries very, very well. So that's where the sport light sort of fits there. Yeah. Okay, Okay. so we've been talking to Dave Casey from Outdoor Agencies, the Australian importer of Osprey packs, as well as many other well-known brands as well. Thanks very much for taking the time to talk with us. Thanks, Tim. I'm looking forward to hearing the podcast. Now, our last interview for this this podcast was Osprey packs, and this is uh, uh, someone we have interviewed pretty much consistently since we've been doing these podcasts uh, on the annual uh, gear interviews. I'm a big fan of Osprey packs. Then they're they're by far the largest pack manufacturer in the world. And there are other very good packs around. uh, But I've just found that uh, Osprey just seemed to um, bring out a range of packs that there's almost something to suit everybody. So certainly my pack of choice uh, for longer distance hikes has very much been Osprey packs over the last six years. Uh, and I've just having the opportunity to try out some of their newer packs, uh, and uh, it's almost a bit like Back to the Future here, where for a number of years my pack of choice was the Exos pack. Uh, I've got the opportunity to have a play with the new released version of the Exos, and in Jules' case, the Asia, uh, and they've uh, they've made these packs. It's a very similar looking pack as far as structure wise concerned. But they've gone through and put a, a series of improvements, and, and in some cases, they've put things like the hip belt pockets, which, which from my perspective was actually an error when they took them off. And it's good to see those pockets have gone back on again. This is a, a, a pack that's likely to be my pack of choice in the next twelve months, all pending depending on what happens with, with other releases over the coming year. But certainly, it's it's looking like this is going to be my my new pack of choice. Uh, as it was previously. Again, uh, Osprey are looking at the materials they're using. They're looking at recycling materials uh, and getting their their packs to be as environmentally friendly as possible. But they're also looking at providing additional adjustment features on their packs. So it means that you're not just buying a pack that sort of fits you but not quite. Uh, They are putting enough adjustment on their packs to be able to uh, fit someone not almost, but you know to a great extent to fit someone uh, just about everybody. So it you know, again, it's a sort of how can we take their product and make it better? And they've certainly gone through and done that.
So just to finish off these interviews, I think the thing that for me became apparent in talking to the manufacturers and suppliers that we did today and also from seeing what's going on in the outdoor industry, there's a, there's a few common themes that are very much uh, taking place or taking centre uh, over the last few years. And these include the environmentally friendliness of the products that are being manufactured and produced. And I think from a number of companies, things like North Face, it's always been a focus of theirs, although they've never really made such a big thing about it. But all the companies we talk to and a number of other companies that I'm aware of are all going down the same route of improving the environmental uh, credentials of their companies and um, going through and trying to make their, not so much releasing lots of new product every year, but making the products that they've got better and more durable and more environmentally friendly overall. Yeah, so the focus is on... um lessening the environmental impact and 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 it probably makes a lot of sense really when you think about it because you know if uh, if outdoor gear is about exploring and enjoying and and you know there's an inherent sort of uh, safeguarding of the environment um, it does make sense for those companies to to get on board in a big way um, and, you know, that's happening in a, a lot of different areas and particularly in relation to um, using recycled materials. So, you know, t- taking um, plastics and um, reusing them and um, repurposing them uh, into different fabrics and, uh, you know, then making them into different uh, clothing items. And I think this is the thing. I mean, there's been a few of, uh, uh, you know, even things like supermarkets these days that occasionally sell hiking and outdoor gear and snow gear and, and it, at a really, really cheap prices. And I think what you're getting there, it pretty is pretty much what you get, what you pay for, but you're not getting environmentally friendly gear. You're getting gear that uh, basically you throw out at the end of the process and it it, it's there's not very good manufacturing processes that go into a lot of these things. Yeah, so- I think there's another angle to this though, because there's also the ability to map the supply chains and make sure that um, every every step of the the chain is as appropriate as um, possible. And I use appropriate because it's not just about environmental issues it's it's to make sure that um you know people are being employed properly and paid properly and um not not being um exploited uh and you know so there's a whole bunch of aspects that sit behind this as well that leads on to the next thing that's been a common theme although it may not be apparent to many people the supply chain issues created by covid over the last few years and it's it's, it's, I find it really interesting. I mean, most of you are aware, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, I have fairly large feet and I do, <laughs> I do struggle to find size 15 US footwear. Um, but this year, so far this year, I've had a good success at actually getting that product. I'm just thinking about the environmental impact of your feet, Tim. <laughs> but I, but I think uh, I think one of the things that I've certainly noticed is that uh, there are a number of companies who have traditionally produced size 15 footwear 
that aren't doing it this year. And I think it's because the supply chain issues and they've they've got to focus on where their market is. And given that, yeah, if you're a size 12 and above US footwear, you're in the 2% of the population that have that size feet. So they're focusing on the bulk of the population. So what that means for people with big feet, they've either um, got to grab the, the shoes and multiple pairs as, as soon as they see them um, and probably not all, but and um, wear them forever. <laughs> One of the biggest things from my perspective as far as the, the impacts of the uh, supply chains has been the supply of tents. There are limited suppliers of good quality tent poles uh, and this has probably been the big limitation that you know, tents that we've recommended and used for a number of years we're struggling to find in good quantities and good supply. And it, this has meant that they've almost appeared to go off the market. And it's not because they're not being made anymore. It's just because it's a struggle to get hold of them. Uh, and I know that's the case even for the companies like Cedar Summit. Their range of tents, which they introduced over the last couple of years, uh, it's a struggle to get hold of good uh, quantities of them because they just sell so fast and, and the manufacturing processes just can't keep up with them. So I think you know, this is something that you may not be so obvious and may not be aware of, but it does mean that if you're struggling to find something, it's because we are having issues because of COVID, issues because of other international things that are going on that are making it hard to come across. I think the other thing that um, is also occurring is uh, that we haven't had as many new products come onto the market over the last few years. It went through a stage for many, many years that you'd almost expect new lines and new models and new brands to be regularly released and regularly come out onto the market. That certainly has slowed down now. Uh, I think that as the focus shifts towards being environmentally friendly, they're shifting the supply chain over to producing product that is more durable and longer lasting and can be recycled. And as a result, that means they're, they're not releasing as many new products as, as, as they used to. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the benefits of that is um, uh, le- less waste. Um, uh, you know, this is not necessarily the fashion industry, but the fas- fashion industry has a very poor reputation and huge amounts of uh, clothing uh, go to landfill that have never been worn. So... You, you know, less less styles, um, more focus on um, Im- improving uh, the manufacturing and decreasing the impact of that manufacturing, um, I, I think is a good thing. And last but not least, uh, outdoor meals. We certainly, for many, many years, we really had uh, a limited range of uh, suppliers in the outdoor meal market in Australia. That certainly has increased over the last few few years, and companies like Campus Pantries is a good example of that. Uh, and again, they they uh, in talking to AJ, he was saying that they're in the process of releasing thirty new products. Wow, um, you know, which sounds like a lot, but when you're talking about meals, that may not be as big as you know if someone released thirty new models of tents in one year. Uh, but they're also looking at the product they've got and how they can improve on that. So again, it's it's not just about increasing their range, but it's also increasing the the quality. Or in this case, for Campus Pantry, 
uh, reducing the physical size, which means particularly if you are uh, looking at putting range of food into your pack, and I, I have carried on some hikes anything up to 12 days worth of food, and by far the biggest space uh, waster, if you like, is the meal packets. It's just that's the way it is. Yeah. Uh, and being able to sort of pretty much reduce or almost halve the size of the packets that are available has a huge impact on on not so much weight, but on bulk that you're carrying in the pack. Yeah, so, that'll be good. That'll be good to see. Yeah. yeah, and I think I think it's uh, it's uh, I think there's only so much you can do. There's only so many different types of food you can release. So many different types of curries and uh, and 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 porridges and everything else that there's very similar, but it's how you can take those products and make them better uh, and make them more accessible and easier to use. And I think that certainly that's a that's a trend that's coming through as well. Okay, so that's the interview with suppliers for 2022. Uh, it's looking like all things being given equal, uh, 2023. Uh, I'll be actually attending the uh, trade shows and doing face-to-face interviews and being able to actually talk to people in real life and, <laughs> and handle the products in it's real time. It's been a long time. It's been it, a few years it has, now. It has been a long time. So I'm uh, looking forward to next year. So I hope this has provided uh, a bit of information and a bit of uh, excitement for the gear freaks out there that like to know what's happening with the outdoor industry and like to know what's going on. As we mentioned, as we we talked through the uh, the interviews, there is a number of products that is either about to hit the market or about to hit the market over the next four to six months. So certainly keep an eye on that. Uh, and um, if, if things that interest you or you're looking at things, um, it's it's something to look forward to. That's all for me. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Bye for now. And bye from me.